0: morning. Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to this time of worship at Faith Community United Methodist Church. Good to be with you in worship this morning. I'd ask you to sign the attendance pads that you find in each of the pews and pass those along to others so that they can uh, register their attendance with us this morning as well. Welcome to those who are worshiping with us online. We're glad that you have joined us as well for this time of worship there's a special insert in your bulletin for Easter flowers, ordering the Easter flowers. Uh, if you would like to order flowers for Easter, you can take that uh, form, fill it out, and, and get, your, uh, get that back to us, and, and we will uh, order those for you. Uh, the administrative board on Thursday night did vote to uh, remove the mask recommendation for inside the building. Uh, that doesn't mean that we're recommending you not to wear masks, but simply uh, not making uh, any recommendation one way or the other. Uh, you feel free to, to um, do whatever you feel is best and however you feel most comfortable. And uh, for those who, who do continue to worship at home, uh, we're, we're glad that we can offer that alternative and uh, hold you in prayer as you worship with us. There are several announcements in your bulletin that I'd uh, call your attention to. There's a new member class tomorrow evening. If you're coming to that new member class tomorrow evening and haven't already told me, let me know that so that we have enough materials for everybody that is coming to that class. That's for anybody who's just interested in uh, learning about membership at Faith Community United Methodist Church. There's uh, an announcement about the organ recital this afternoon. Make sure that you take note of that so you can enjoy that time. Uh, there's the men of faith tomorrow evening, uh, there's a special Lenten offering that goes to VBS, there's information about uh, scholarships, scholarship applications for college students, and finally there's an announcement there about a uh, 5K that, that we are uh, hosting here at the church in, uh, in, in honor and in memory of Rock McCullough, and I, I hope that you will uh, participate in that as well. So. Take this home with you, look over all of those so that you're aware of all the the big things that are coming up. We are here in this place today to worship our God, and so I invite you to be in that spirit of worship. I invite you to stand as you're able and join together in the call to worship.
1: Join me in the call to worship. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy, eat. Listen carefully to God and eat what is good. Delight yourself in the rich food God provides. Here
2: our souls are satisfied as with rich cheese.
1: Together our mouths praise God with joyful lips. God offers us steadfast love and a covenant relationship. We are called to be faithful witnesses and leaders. Please remain standing and turn in your hymns, books, to number 578, God of Love and God of Power. be seated. And let us join together in the opening prayer found in your bulletin. Let us pray. God of all, you love us beyond compare and are faithful to us even when we turn away. You are patient and wise, caring and just. We admit that we are not worthy of your love for us or deserving of your good favor. We have ignored your will, treated others of your children with disdain, and failed to be grateful for your mercy and blessings. Forgive us once again. Restore us to right relationship with you and with one another, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Please remain seated. You may turn in hymn number 396, O Jesus, I have promised.
0: Let us bow for a time of silence as we each offer our prayers and supplications before the Lord in silence. how good it is to come into this place to sit in your presence, to lift our concerns to your throne, to know that you have heard us, to know that you are faithful to respond, to know that you are at work on our behalf even before we ask, and you are with us each step of the way. As we see your will worked out in our lives, in our church, in our community, even as we see you intervene in situations around the world, Lord, thank you for that knowledge that you are with us, that you are Lord of heaven and earth. Oh Lord, we have promised, we have made so many grand promises sometimes impetuously sometimes with reverence and consideration but lord it's not our promises that keep us with you it's your promise your promise to keep us with you your promise to see us through all things your promise to provide all that we need your promise to lift us into salvation if we but believe in you, in the grace that you have poured upon us in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for those great promises that we can receive and believe and have life in Jesus' name. We pray for loved ones here at home and far away who are going through struggles and we ask for your mercy upon them. We pray for people we have never met and may never meet, but yet who are our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, who are enduring great times of struggle and suffering, some even who may be martyred for their faith. Lord, we here can't even imagine what that might be like, but we lift them to your throne of mercy. And ask for strength and courage to face whatever is at hand, so that through all things, you might be glorified through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his name that we pray, and it's in the words that he has taught us that we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We continue to worship through the giving of our tithes and offerings as the ushers come to wait upon us. Please join me in the prayer of dedication. All that we present to you now, O God, we have received from your hand. We give so the hungry may eat and the thirsty may receive pure water. We share to send the good news of your word to those who have not heard. We invest in just causes that your mercy may be known among all people. Most of all, we give. Because passing on your gifts in generous response is necessary to life. Amen. Please be seated.
1: The scripture lesson is found in your bulletin, Daniel chapter 10, verses 1 through 9, verses 15 through 19. In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. The word was true, and it concerned a great conflict. He understood the word, having received understanding in the vision. At that time, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three weeks. I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine had entered my mouth and I had not anointed myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I looked up and saw a man clothed in linen with a belt of gold from uphaz around the waist. His body was like burl, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the roar of a multitude. I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. The people who were with me did not see the vision, though a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone to see this great vision. My strength left me, and my complexion grew deathly pale and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and when I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a trance, face to the ground. While he was speaking these words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one in human form touched my lips, and I opened my mouth to speak and said to the one who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, such pains have come upon me that I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For I am shaking. No strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one in human form touched me and strengthened me. He said, Do not fear, greatly beloved. You are safe. Be strong and courageous. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. The word of God for the people of God.
2: Thank you.
0: I've come to the conclusion that I would not have made a very good Daniel. Is it the idea of living in a foreign land and serving foreign kings that I couldn't handle? No, I think I could probably handle that part. Is it the threat of being thrown into a den of lions if I don't compromise my faith? Well, maybe. I'm not entirely certain how I would respond in that kind of situation. I would hope and pray that I would be as faithful as Daniel and continue in my prayers, and in my devotion to God, even at the threat of my life, but I've honestly never faced that kind of situation, so I don't know for sure. What is it that convinces me that I would not make a good Daniel? It's Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. At that time, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three weeks. I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine had entered my mouth, and I had not anointed myself at all for the full three weeks. Daniel fasted for a full three weeks, subsisting during those weeks on nothing but plain bread and water. No rich food of any kind, no meat whatsoever, no wine, nothing that would be appealing to the palate in any way, only the bare minimum of what he had to eat in order to stay alive. That's all he took in for the full three weeks. I don't know that I could do that. You know, we read these fantastical stories uh, from Daniel, Daniel being thrown to the den of lions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace, and we wonder to ourselves how we would have fared in those same circumstances. What would we have done? There's no way for us to answer that, because none of us living in Xenia, Ohio in the year 2022, none of us have faced that extreme kind of challenge to our faith, that level of danger. Sure, we've face challenges to our faith. We've had to stand up to judgment and ridicule and harsh words and and conflict. But most of us have not had to literally put our lives on the line in order to remain faithful to God. So we can't honestly say what we would do in those types of situations. But have you ever tried to fast for three weeks? I have, and, and let me tell you, it ain't easy. And I haven't even tried to fast to the extent that Daniel fasted. Why should I even begin to wonder how I would fare facing a den of lions or a fiery furnace for God when I find it so hard just to give up one meal out of the day for God? Why should we be worried about lions and fire when just the idea of giving up rich foods for three weeks horrifies us to no end? No, I would not make a very good Daniel. You know why Daniel was able to be successful in those big things? Because he was faithful in the little things. That's what it takes to stand up in times of trial. We have to be trained regularly, constantly through faithful devotion in the little things so that when the fiery trials come, we don't have to wonder how we will fare. We have already been tested. We are prepared to stand tall. I find it interesting that we come to chapter ten of Daniel, in which Daniel talks about fasting for three weeks. We come to this very chapter on the third Sunday of Lent. If you are doing any kind of fasting for Lent, you are now in the third week of your fast. So how's it going? I I usually do participate in some type of fasting through the season of Lent. Although as I, I've said not to the extent that Daniel fasted. I'm not subsisting on plain bread and water. I think I'd be falling over right now if I was. But, th- but there are certain items that I avoid during Lent, certain meals that I miss. One of the reasons I do this is because of one of the historic John Wesley questions asked of me at my ordination, will you encourage the practice of fasting, both by precept and example, to which I answered yes, And every year when Lent rolls around, it's my annual reminder that I haven't done that lately, so I decide how and what I'm going to fast from this year. I think that most of us, I'm no exception to this, when we approach fasting, if we think about it at all, we we treat it sort of like a New Year's resolution. Here are some bad things that that I'm going to give up for a while, or here are some things that, that would be good for me that I'm going to add into my daily routine for a season... As the days wear on, maybe we forget, or maybe our resolve wears down, or or maybe the devil gets in there and says, that's not really necessary, you know. And it's true. It's not really necessary, at least not in terms of salvation. God loves you the same whether you practice fasting or not. You know that you will be forgiven even if you don't follow through, because after all, we are saved by grace, not work. But in spite of all of that, Daniel felt compelled anyway to fast for three weeks. As the faithful of God throughout history have felt compelled at times to endure a season of fasting for the sake of drawing closer to God in prayer. Daniel's reason for this three-week fast was that he was in mourning. He doesn't say why he was in mourning What was he so despondent about that he felt compelled to give up all rich food and meat and wine for three weeks? We don't really know. There are some things that Daniel tells us, though, that reading between the lines provides some insight. First, he tells us that this was the third year of King Cyrus of Persia. That would put this chapter at right around the same time as the lion's den story of chapter six. We don't know exactly when that story is set, so we can't know for sure whether this fast was before or after he was thrown into the lion's den, but it was in roughly that same period of his life and in a similar situation, similar setting. I wouldn't be at all surprised if this three-week fast and this vision that followed from it were the very thing that prepared Daniel for facing that particular challenge. Another thing, this chapter takes place two years after Cyrus issued his edict declaring that the Jews could go free, return to their homeland, rebuild their temple. The first group of exiles to do so, the first Jews to leave Babylon under the leadership of Sheshbazar and go back to Judah, have already made that trip back home when this chapter takes place. The Jews were no longer captives in the third year of King Cyrus. If they remained in Babylon or Persia or wherever they were living at the time, if they stayed there rather than going back to Judah, it's not because they were captives, but because they chose to stay. Some interpreters have suggested that Daniel was mourning because so few of the Jews had chosen to go back home. The group that returned to Judah in the first wave was relatively small compared to the numbers that stayed in a foreign land where they had settled and made themselves at home. Perhaps this suggested to Daniel their compromise with the world, their relative comfort in a foreign land and their accommodation to foreign customs, a loss of fervor for their identity, a lack of concern for their heritage, their temple. Or it could be that Daniel was mourning because Although the Jewish people were now free to return home, he was too old and frail to make the journey himself. Perhaps the fact that he had to stay behind while others got to return home caused him some heartache. He mourned because he longed to go with them to see the beautiful land once again, but he couldn't. Either of those makes sense, and there might be something to both of them, but I suspect there's something even deeper that led to this fast. Daniel mentions in verse 4 that at the end of the three-week fast, he received another vision, and he says it happened on the 24th day of the first month. Here's the thing about that timing. The festival of Passover began on the 15th day of the first month. In the Holy Land, Passover lasted for seven days. For those living outside of the Holy Land, Passover often lasted eight days. In either case, by the 24th day of the first month, The Passover festival is over. And Daniel had fasted through the entire thing. That is something remarkable. It it would be like a Christian deciding to fast from the week before Christmas until the week after New Year's. What? That's not a time to fast. That is a time to feast. Passover was the festival in which the Jewish people celebrated their liberation from captivity in Egypt. It was a celebration of freedom, a recognition of their identity as a people, as a nation, brought about by the miraculous liberation of God. If ever there was a time to celebrate Passover, it is right after they've been set free once again after their captivity in Babylon has come to an end, after God has rescued them again and told them to return to the promised land again. And yet right at this moment of having been set free, Daniel fasts through the entire festival that celebrates that very freedom. That suggests to me that he was in mourning because he knew from the visions that he had had earlier, in the earlier chapters that that we've already looked at, he knew that this freedom of the Jewish people that they were celebrating at that moment would not last. He knew that the exile was not really over. Even when the temple would be rebuilt, the true exile would go on. The temple would be rebuilt in only a matter of years, but in times of trouble. He knew it would be desecrated again. He knew the Jews would face domination Again, he knew the chosen people would still face war and devastation and attacks of the evil one. It's not easy to celebrate with everyone else when you're a prophet and you know the bad stuff that's coming. Daniel was not able to celebrate the Passover because he knew the freedom they were currently rejoicing in was transitory and fleeting. To the rest of the Jews, this was a time of jubilee. But Daniel had been shown what would follow that jubilee. And it caused him to tremble in sorrow for his people. And so while all the rest of the Jews partook in the Passover festival, Daniel fasted. For three weeks, he fasted. At the end of the three weeks, on the 24th day of the first month, he had a vision. Daniel says, I was standing on the bank of the great river that is the Tigris. This is different from what happened in chapter 8. In chapter 8, Daniel was taken either in his vision or by the Spirit to a river far away and then transported back again at the end of the vision. Here in chapter 10, he's standing next to the river before the vision begins. He even mentions others that were standing there with him. So the river itself is not a part of the vision, but simply the setting for where the vision takes place. Daniel calls it the Great River and then says that is the Tigris. Usually, the expression, the great river, refers to the Euphrates. And indeed, Babylon, where Daniel lived for most of his adult life, is located on the bank of the Euphrates. If Daniel had simply said he was standing next to the great river, without naming it, it would be natural to assume that he stood next to the Euphrates. But Daniel then clarifies by saying that is the Tigris. The Tigris flows somewhat parallel to the Euphrates, but a bit farther to the east. Jerusalem, was due west from Babylon. That is where the Jews, who returned from exile, headed west to Jerusalem. Not only did Daniel not go with them, he had actually moved farther east, farther away from Jerusalem than he had ever been before. And there he saw a man. But this wasn't just a man. He was a heavenly being. There isn't a clear consensus among scholars and interpreters as to who this heavenly being is, whether it's Gabriel once again, or another angel, or even Christ. I'm convinced this vision is of Christ once again. Daniel says that the man was clothed in linen, but Leviticus 6.10 and 16.4 describe the priest putting on the tunic of linen as a sign of being clothed in holiness when approaching the temple to perform the sacrifices. Jesus is the great high priest, and indeed the, only, the one who replaces the temple himself, as Daniel saw in an earlier vision. He also says his body was like beryl. Beryl is one of the stones that was placed on the breastplate of the high priest. Here it is not just a stone in the breastplate, but it is his whole body that is like beryl. This, this isn't just a symbol of the high priest, this is the great high priest himself. Perhaps most striking, though, is that his face was like lightning. And the others who were there with Daniel fled and hid themselves with great trembling so that they could not see the vision. We're reminded here of two New Testament events. One, the transfiguration of Jesus on top of the mountain when Peter, James, and John saw his clothes turned to a blinding white. And two, Paul, on the road to Damascus, when he was struck by the vision of a blinding light, and the others around him were not allowed to see what he saw, although they had a sense of the divine presence and heard the voice and were filled with fear. It seems to me that this is Christ once again. But Daniel is getting a different vision of Christ here than he was given before. Previously, when he saw the Christ, he he described him as one in human form, or one who looked like a son of man, What he was being shown was Christ in his incarnate form, as he would one day come to earth as Jesus. But here he is seeing the ascended and glorified Christ as he would be following the resurrection. That is the vision that Peter, James, and John were given in the transfiguration, a glimpse of the glorified Christ as he would be following the resurrection and ascension. That is who Paul met, on the road to Damascus, the risen and ascended Christ. That is who I believe Daniel was seeing here, the Christ of triumph and glory, the one who has already become the great high priest through the sacrifice of himself, the one who has already replaced the temple by fulfilling all things, the one whom the Father raised up into heaven and placed over all of creation. Daniel says, when I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a trance, face to the ground. The vision of this one was so overwhelming, so awe-inspiring that Daniel fell to the ground in a trance. Just as Paul, when seeing the ascended Christ, was blinded and fell to the ground, just as the disciples, when they met the risen Christ on top of the mountain in Galilee, were instantly moved to worship. But then a hand touched me, Daniel says, and roused me to my hands and knees. This is the first of three times that Daniel is touched by a heavenly being in this chapter. Who this heavenly being is, again, there's no clear consensus. At first, it seems like the same heavenly being that caused him to fall to the ground in the first place. But as you go on in the chapter, it becomes clear that this is not the Christ, but an angel in service to Christ. Some of the things that he does and even some of the things that he says are right in line with what Gabriel had said and done in the previous chapter, leading me to believe this is Gabriel once again, although Daniel doesn't specifically name him here. In 1011, the angel calls Daniel greatly beloved or highly esteemed, just as Gabriel had in 923. Remember, that seems to be Gabriel's calling card. In 10.12, he says, from the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, meaning from the very first day of Daniel's fast, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. This is just like 9.23, where Gabriel says, at the beginning of your supplications, a word went out, and I have come to declare it. In chapter 9, we weren't told how long Daniel's prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes went on before Gabriel arrived. Here in chapter 10, we know it was three weeks. In both cases, though, Gabriel emphasizes that Daniel's prayers were heard immediately and that heaven was at work answering those prayers from the beginning. There may have been Quite a long time between when Daniel began to pray and when the answer was given to him, but that doesn't mean that there was any delay in God hearing or in heaven responding. At the beginning of your supplication, Gabriel said in chapter 9. From the first day you set your mind to it, he says in chapter 10. Here's a lesson to us in our own prayers and supplications and fasting even. The reason we need to be persistent in our prayers, the reason we need to keep at it when we are fasting, when we are seeking the Lord, is not because God is putting us off and we have to wear him down. Far from it. These visions to Daniel tell us that the word reaches God immediately, even before we express it, some passages might suggest. But we are not always given an immediate awareness of the answer. We need to be persistent in our prayers. We need to be faithful in the fast. We need to be unrelenting in our supplications before God so that when the answer is revealed, we are in a place where we can hear it, receive it, understand it, believe it. God knows our needs even before we ask, and he is faithful to respond. But how will we receive his divine response if all we do is lift up our prayer for a moment and then go about our daily routine with nary another thought about it. We need to stay with God, continue seeking God, be earnest and persistent in our supplications until the word comes to us. And the fact is, this is revealed too in this chapter, the fact is that there are things going on within the spiritual realm that we can't even begin to understand. There are often reasons why the response is delayed that we might never comprehend. Our part is to keep at it, in faith, for as long as it takes. The angel here, whom I take to be Gabriel, says that he was opposed by the prince of the kingdom of Persia for 21 days. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help so that Gabriel could come speak to Daniel and give him a further vision of what was to come. Now what exactly was going on there between Gabriel and Michael and the prince of Persia? I don't know. What is clear is that the prince of Persia that's spoken of here, and later it talks about the prince of Greece as well, these are not earthly human princes. These are spiritual beings battling with Gabriel and Michael. Fallen angels, demons, whatever they are, there is a battle going on in the spiritual realm that gets played out here on earth. As I've said before in this series, Daniel shows us that there is no such thing as a merely earthly war. War in all of its forms is a spiritual reality. There are forces of evil that wage war against the forces of God, and sometimes they use this world as their battleground. At the moment, those forces, those evil forces, were at work within Persia. Following that, they would be at work within Greece. Gabriel said that he had come to give Daniel another vision of how it would all finally play out. At that, Daniel says, I turned my face to the ground and was speechless. It often happens that God's messengers are so overwhelmed by the message They don't feel up to the task of delivering it. Moses, at the burning bush, tried to talk God out of sending him back to Egypt. Elijah, after escaping Jezebel, fell exhausted in the wilderness and said he could not go on. Jeremiah said, Truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. For Jeremiah, the Lord put out his hand and touched his mouth, indicating that the Lord himself would give Jeremiah the words to speak. Likewise, Isaiah had a live coal touched to his mouth by a seraph when he was was told that he would be God's mouthpiece. So too here, the angel touches Daniel's lips. Daniel couldn't imagine proclaiming these visions. He could barely understand them himself. But God, just as he had done for Isaiah and Jeremiah, God would give him the words to proclaim The Lord would place the words in his mouth. This is the second time in the chapter that Daniel is touched by an angel. First, the angel touched him so that he could get up from the ground. Second, the angel touched his lips to give him speech. The third time the angel touches him is to give him strength. Daniel complained to the angel that he had no strength left. He he was shaking, he could barely breathe, Daniel attributes this to the vision. He's so overwhelmed by the vision that the strength is literally knocked out of him. But certainly the fasting had something to do with it, too. I don't know if you've ever tried to go for three weeks on just plain bread and water, but it takes something out of you. Physically, emotionally, Daniel was drained. Just like Elijah after his 40 days of fasting, when he wanted to lay down and die, Daniel had nothing left. That's when the angel touched him the third time, this time giving him strength. The angel said to him, Do not fear greatly, beloved. You are safe. Be strong and courageous. Daniel says, When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak to me, for you have strengthened me. You see, Daniel, for as great as he was, as wise as he was, as faithful as he was in every way, Daniel was no different than any of the rest of us in that he couldn't do anything on his own. He needed the powers of heaven to lift him up, to give him the words, to grant him the strength to go on. The thing that is different about Daniel is that he consistently availed himself of that divine strength. He faithfully and without fail submitted himself to God in the little things and in the big things. We so often try to go it alone in the little things, and then we think we can turn to God when the big things come along. It doesn't work that way. We don't rightly know which things are big and which things aren't so we'd best be relying on God in everything. That's what Daniel does. That's what Daniel shows us. That's where strength for faithful living comes from. From God. So let us turn to the Lord in all things. invite you to stand as you are able for our closing hymn, which is number 374 in the hymnal, Standing on the Promises. you to be seated for the benediction and please remain seated until the the choir has exited the sanctuary. The Lord is our strength and our salvation. So as you go from this place, may you go trusting in him in all things, in the big things and in the little things. Go in the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
2: Amen. Amen.